Good morning, good morning. How are we doing, Impact Church? Woo! Man, glad to have you in the house of the Lord. I'm Pastor Tim Wett. I'm the executive pastor here, so I uh, love having you here with us this morning. Uh, we had just a few announcements, and we'll go ahead and kick off our praise and worship time. Uh, first, it's hard to believe, our annual extreme hunt is around the corner. Around the corner, so... So we got to save the date. Everybody's clapping because all that candy we got to stuff into eggs, right? Yes. Now, now, the joy of seeing those kids open up the candied eggs is why we stuff those eggs. But save the date. So we're going to do it this year. We're doing it on Sunday, March 24th. Sunday, March 24th is Palm Sunday. So we're going to do the extreme hunt. We're going to do it at Thomas Jefferson Elementary School like we did last year behind the school where the lacrosse field is and the playground is. So save the date, March 24th. So on the 23rd, the day before, we will have a egg stuffing party. So we'll stuff, well, hopefully I have a lot of the egg stuff beforehand, but we got 50,000 eggs that we're going to stuff. So, so usually at the end, we still have a lot of eggs to stuff. So on that Saturday, keep that day.
thank you, Father, for who you are. God, thank you for your sweet, holy presence and for your presence that we feel in this place this morning. God, you know what's on every heart this morning, God, what we're believing for. God, and there's nothing impossible for you. We know that. We believe it. God, you have made everything that there is that is made. You have formed us in your image, God. And Lord, we pray that whatever may be in, in, uh, in, our, in our minds and our lives this morning that we're praying about, God, we pray that uh, you will receive glory for all of it, Lord. God, you redeem things and make things new again, God. That's what you do. You make things new. God, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, just giving us new life, that we could have that in you, Father. And God, we pray that as we hear your word today, God, that we'll be changed to be more like you. I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Savior, today will become their day of salvation, God, that they'll come to know who you are. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. could never find the strength to trust without faith because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. Without faith, without works, we too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. Amen, amen. Welcome to church this morning. I hope everybody's doing well. You good? All right, y'all all thawed out after the little spring day we had and from the deep freeze. And man, if it can be dry, that'd be the next best thing. Uh, it's rained a lot and we got a building to put up over there. So anyway, welcome to church this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, maybe it's your first time. Uh, maybe it's your fifth time, whatever it is. And you're searching for a church home, a place um, to 
get plugged in, to anchor and call home. We hope this is your last stop and your last shop. God's doing an amazing work through this church. And uh, we would love for you and your friends and your family to be a part of what God's doing right here. And if you're looking for a church home um, that preaches the word of God unapologetically and doesn't sugarcoat it, doesn't water it down, and looks to make disciples by doing so, you're in the right place. So welcome to Impact this morning. Um, afterwards, I did not get to go over the finances last week um, like I thought I might. And uh, with all the, uh, everybody was rushing for the chili and the soup. I didn't want to hear a word I had to say. So I, I get that. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to do that at the end. If you missed that, if you can't hang out afterwards, there's papers on the sides that show uh, the budget uh, for this year and then who, how we're giving the missions. And we'll go over all that at the, after the service if you're interested to stay. Also get plugged in in life groups, man, a lot of ways to get plugged in. Um, man, we had a great uh, Truth Project um, discipleship class last week, and if you missed last week, jump in this week. It's on Tuesday. We're meeting at the weight room, W-A-I-T, not the weight room. We're not lifting weights, for those of you who don't talk about it. So it's, it's our church rental place over in Graves Mill, and uh, we had almost 40 people attend the other night. So uh, come on out and join up with that, and are getting plugged in in other life groups. A lot of ways to, to get plugged in. Uh, also, just want to uh, give a shout out to um, the people who are watching online. I know a lot of folks have been getting ill lately. There's some crud going around, so y'all keep washing your hands so you can stay healthy and, and come to church. All right, but those that can't, we're glad we have this uh, online message that people can watch and keep up, and especially those uh, keeping prayer parts of our family that are struggling uh, with cancer um, and uh, need prayer and uh, for the Lord to touch their body. I know Joe Jennings, him and his family watching online and uh, be in prayer for them. Amy uh, Sandage as well, and, uh, and also uh, Kim Ewers and, and multiple others that have uh, uh, told me their them or their family member is struggling uh, through this disease. So keep everybody in prayer, and we're glad we have online capability. So here we go. We're going to dive in because we had started our James sermon series two weeks ago, and we had an intro week there two weeks ago, and, and looked at um, who's writing this book, the time frame, and what it's about. And of course, we know that this uh, is the first actual book chronologically that was written in the New Testament, all right? So this is essentially the first written words from the Lord through his canon of scripture to the church. So therefore, it's extremely important that the first words to the church are about authentic faith and what that looks like to a group of people who have been persecuted and scattered because of the faith. So in that context, we know we had the, the message of chapter one last week about um, perseverance through trials and God wants to do a work in our uh, adversity and things that we all struggle with in life that um, only he can get the glory for and grow and do a work in our life. And now we're going to see a little bit of a transition. And the title of today's message is Whose Fault Is It Anyway? Whose Fault Is It Anyway? And we'll see if we can put that uh, sermon picture up on the screen because it'll help kind of give our, our intro to what we're going to talk about. And you see this, um, if you can see it well, you can see these two little characters sitting on this uh, blank guy's character there. And you can see the angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. And how many of you watch cartoons when you were growing up? And this is a very common thing that you saw in a lot of cartoons. I'm thinking of Tom and Jerry right now so many times. How about you? You got the little angel on one side, the little devil on the other, trying to coax them to, to do something, to make a decision, to, to act a certain way, whether good, bad, right, or wrong. 
And of course, there's some fun in that. And um, there's also a, a touch of truth in that, but it's not total truth as to where the decision was finally made, whether to listen to one voice or the other. Because what we're going to see in Scripture is although there are things that entice us or lure us, that ultimately the decision to follow one or the other comes from within. And that's what we need to see today. And it's something that wasn't depicted in Tom and Jerry, but it's very vividly pictured in James and talked about. So we want to look at that today. Because I'm going to be honest, we live in a society today where people don't want to own responsibility for their actions. Don't we? See it every day. People want to blame somebody else, want to blame something else for the reason they do what they do, for the reason they did what they did. Well, I did this because they did this to me. I did this because you don't know how I grew up. I did this because fill in the blank. There's always a blame shift onto something or somebody else, and it never resides with the person who committed the act. James is going to be very clear on where the blame lies. Because you've heard it and I've heard it because we live in a society today that not only wants to blame somebody else or something else or a situation or a, or a, a, a source of some kind. They want to blame God himself for the reason they do what they do. You say, well, God created me this way. Oh, really? Well, let's look at this and see. Because what we're going to see is, although there's a, a, a inner drive, a, a inner fleshly desire that gives us a desire toward oftentimes the wrong decision, when we're in Christ, God has given us a new source to pull from, a source that we don't have on our own strength. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that he has sinned, that Christ has given because he died on the cross and paid the price for our sin. And then through that, when we accept him, we now can have the spirit of the living God empowering us. Then and therefore, now we have a new internal desire that can gain victory over all temptation in the things we face in this life. And that's the message of today. Because although the fault may lie within, there's victory to be had in Christ if we'll let him do his work. Let me pray for us real quick before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're here to glorify you, magnify you, to lift you up. And Lord, we're here today because we want to hear from you. Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to your truth and your word today. Lord, we know it's not going to return void. Lord, you're going to do a work in our heart and our lives, Lord, that only you can get the glory for. So, Lord, I pray that you would move. Lord, send your spirit upon this place, upon every person, upon every heart, every mind, every family. And, Lord, do a work in us, Father, that's transforming, that's, that's the supernatural power of your spirit that manifests itself in a life of a person who has surrendered and said yes to you, that you are my Lord. And I live by you and your word. So, Father, I praise you in advance. Lord, as we look deep and we hear a message that, quite frankly, isn't preached in the American churches today, but so desperately needs to be. So I pray that you would go before us, prepare us, and, Lord, move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So here we go. You can open your Bibles if you have a copy of God's word with you, and I hope you do. And if you don't, we'll make sure you can get one. But it's James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 today. 
And before I read, somebody had asked me last week, said, you know, have you ever thought about having the congregation stand when you read the scripture? And, you know, I've seen churches do that before, and I think we'll start doing that. So I pray, I told her, I said, we pray every week. I, I fall down on my knee and, and ask God to do what only he can do because I don't want any glory. I don't want people to hear me. I want people to hear Jesus through his word. So today, and from this point forward, as we read this main teaching passage, I would like us to stand for the reading of God's word today. So let's do that together. A little extra time to stretch your legs, right? Get ready for the long haul, baby. No, I'm just kidding. All right, James chapter 1, 12 through 18, all right? And the Bible says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Mm. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You may be seated. Amen. I love God's word. There's so much truth and so much direct truth in this, especially in James, because James doesn't hum or haul or beat around the bush. He's just like, bam, there it is. Take it or leave it. And you better take it because the word's truth and it's straight from the Lord himself, right? So here we go. Looking at verse 12, I wanted to uh, leave this here for this week because essentially the verse um, probably belongs in last week's message, to be honest with you. But I wanted to show you this transition. Of course, we know when James wrote, he did not have it broken down into chapters or verses. It was written as one complete letter. Somebody comes behind him in translation and adds the chapters, adds the verses, adds the um, separation. So I want you to see that all your Bible may have some of this separated. It's written as one letter. And so as such, we just come off this transition from talking about trials. And there's going to be a transition here. We'll see starting in verse 13. But there is still a connection because, again, it's written together. And we know that this word trials in the Greek that we talked about last week also can mean temptation. And we talked about how so many times these outward circumstances, these tests, these trials of our faith that God wants to use to do a work in us. It produces something. It doesn't produce faith. If faith is tested in a trial, it produces perseverance. And that is a hopeful endurance. That is a hopeful, lasting endurance that, for the faith that God wants to provide and work through us in times of adversity. But we said, and we'll say again here because of this transition verse in verse 12, it said, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there's victory to be attained in trial. There's reward, if you will, a, a, a stature of, of godliness that God wants to give and grow in us. But we talked about last week that although every difficult thing that comes at us has the option to strengthen, it also 
if we're not careful and don't handle it well, has the option to divide, has the option to make us bitter, to make us doubt the promises of God, to question God, to run away from him. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. So we know then that a trial is, to, is a test and we can develop something, but we can also figure out that maybe we don't have the measure of faith we thought we had if we fail that test. And so as such, there's a choice to be obedient to the Lord in trial or to be tempted to be disobedient. So in a sense, that same trial that can be used to strengthen can also become a temptation to do what's not right, what God doesn't desire for us to do. And so if that becomes the case, we have then allowed a trial to become a temptation and it has solicited us and we have desired something else and moved in to sin, all right? So we want to see the same word for temptation, same word for trial, and you can tell the difference by the context of the passage, and that's what we're going to see in this transition is a transition of context. But it's also seen, as we just discussed, the difference is how you respond to it. The difference is how we respond to a trial, how we respond to adversity, and we're going to see the difference is very plainly how we respond even to fleshly temptation and other desires that James is going to bring out right here. All right. So we don't want to fall prey to what the enemy wants to use to try to draw us away by our own evil desires. OK, and that's going to be a lot of the context of what's going to transition to. So now let's look at verse 13. So verse 13 gets very clear that let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Because the tendency is to look around like we talked about at the beginning, about whose fault is this? <laughs> whose fault is this that I'm in the situation that I'm in? Whose fault is this that, that I am the way I am, that, that I grew up the way I grew up, that fill in the blank. Whose fault is it anyway? Is it God's fault who allowed the trial to happen in my life that ended up being a temptation for me to doubt him, to move away, to seek my own understanding and to move away from his truth? Is it his fault because he allowed the trial? James is very clear. It's not. We're going to dig this out. Is it God's fault that I'm in the circumstances I'm in? Is it God's fault that I've been created the way I, I am and I can't help it? Whose fault is it? Because many people would say if it's God that allows trials, then it's God's fault that I failed. Well, let's look at this, because what we're going to see is this blame for temptation or this rather this blame for the fault of falling into sin is the heart of this passage. And it's an essential thing. And we're going to see that it's really not something new. It's it's as fact old as sin itself. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see exactly what happened when the first man and the first woman fell to the first temptation of humankind. All right. So let's read it. Genesis chapter 3 verses 9 through 13. And where we're picking up here is 
after Adam and Eve have, of course, taken of the fruit and they've, their eyes have been opened. They realize they are naked. They've covered themselves with the fig leaves and then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they ran and hid. All right, so now we pick this up. Verse 9 of chapter 3 in Genesis. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, yeah, I did it. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. Mm-mm-mm. I know we laugh, but does that sound familiar? You hadn't done that yourself, have you? I have. We all have. Then verse 13 goes to the woman. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? She said, I did it. No. Nope. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Guys, the struggle that we see and the struggle that we have and what James is talking about here is something that is not new. And it happened from the very beginning. It is man and woman's desire to blame shift. That it's never our fault. And apart from Christ, that will always be our attitude. But Christ wants to give us a new heart and a new spirit, a new desire, put his spirit in us to give us a new perspective. Remember that from last week? We got a new way of thinking, a new way of living, and a new way of acting. Everything's become new. The old's gone. The new has come. If the new hasn't come, test yourself to see if you're of the faith. Again, remember, we talked about last week, this is not a test of perfection. We're all going to fail at this. I hope I've admitted that many numerous times to you up here that I myself struggle because I'm in the flesh with you as well. This is not a test of perfection, but it is a test of direction. Does God you have you on a new direction? Or are you following the same old, same old ways of the world? Because there's the test. So we look at Adam. God went to him. Whose fault was it? Well, first Adam suggested it was the woman. I mean, after all, brother fell asleep one time, woke up, and he's married. He ain't never seen a woman before. And there it was. So the Lord's like, man, I didn't ask, I mean, I didn't ask for this. And why'd you pick this one? It's her fault. But essentially, yeah, there's a depiction of this, this woman that you gave me. But look a little deeper. Not just the woman, somebody else he was blaming. Who did he ultimately blame? God. The woman you gave me. It's your fault. If you wouldn't have brought this chick in my life, I was fine. <laughs> Maybe not. Because there was still a desire that led him away. He goes to Eve. Verse 13. God said to the woman, what's it that you have done? God knows who did it. God knows what's going on. He's not shocked. He knew it was going to happen anyway. And he had already made a way out. Thus, his son that was going to go to the cross for this, to prove his love for humankind, 
and desire relationship with us. But she said it was the serpent who deceived. It was that snake, God. I didn't make that snake talk. You did. You made the snake and you made it talk. It was that serpent. It wasn't me. See that? Do you see that blame shift? Oh, so quickly. That, that is our human nature, guys. We have to understand that. Me and you, that's my desire and your desire. When we're first confronted in our sin, come on, let's get real. Somebody points out something we've done wrong, something we're actively involved in, something that we know we shouldn't be doing. Our first desire, my first desire, when somebody points that out, it'd be like, well, you, don't, you don't understand. It's, it's not my fault. Lord, help us. Because God is looking and he's saying, there was something inside you that pulled you away. Here's the beautiful part, because God's going to say, I want to take care of that for you. I want to take care of that for you. I want to give you something by which you can pull from now where you can have victory. And you can then freely admit that when we mess up, Man, it was my fault. Yeah, there's some stuff going on. There was some, there was some stuff happening, but ultimately it was my own desire, Lord, that fell for that. Forgive me. Is that your heart? Is that your attitude when, when sin falls and we, we fail that t- temptation process and, and we give in to something? It, when it's confronted, when the Lord convicts you, confronts you, or when somebody else, is your heart to say, yeah, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Lord, give me strength to resist, to, to, to do different next time. Give me the power that, that I need to be different. See that difference of response? Only God can give you that through his spirit in you. Otherwise, the human nature is all you got to pull from, and it's always going to be somebody else's fault. It's always going to be something else's fault, and ultimately, it's always going to be God's fault in your life. Verse 14 in James. So then we get... A little deeper as James goes along and said, of course, God cannot tempt and he can't be tempted himself, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That does not take a theologian to dice out, guys. Whose fault is it anyway? Mine. Yours. Alone. 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 So, let's look at this, because there's truth in there. Truth, first of all, is everyone's tempted. Every single one of us are tempted. Temptation is the common experience of every human being. Paul even said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that temptations are common to man. We know that Jesus himself was tempted in every way, yet did not sin, the Bible says. So, temptation by itself is not sin. It's how we respond to that temptation that is sin and who we choose to pull from. Do we pull from our human nature, our depraved human nature, our flesh, or do we pull from the Spirit of God who's given us a path to victory? It's been said and needs to be remembered that when we come to Christ and even when we were baptized, we didn't drown our flesh. We're always going to have a struggle with that. As long as we're alive, there's a struggle, but never let it be an excuse. There's a difference in that, right? Because we can choose to make an excuse. Well, God, you made me this way. You put me in this flesh. You allowed sin to happen. 
Or we can choose to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. So we're all going to be faced with a battle of temptation, and how we deal with it becomes a mark, a test of faith. Just like the trial earlier in chapter 1 was a test, now temptation is a test, okay? So we know Jesus was tested. He did not sin. Why? Because there was no fleshly desire in him. He was sinless. Even his thoughts were pure. Guys, we want to get to the bottom of that because that's where you and I are going to miss and fail, all right, where Christ didn't because we have an innate desire for something different because of our flesh. That needs to be nullified if we're ever going to have hope to live by the Spirit, all right? And it's the Spirit's power that does this for us. We're going to see this. So again, so nobody gets a condemnation message. This is so important because a message like this, I'm going to be forth, uh, forthright with you. You're not, you're not going to hear a message like this in most churches today. I guarantee you 90% of churches you've ever been in have not preached a message like this and won't be preaching it this Sunday either because this isn't popular. But guys, can I tell you that because of that, it's the very reason we see sin creeping into the church and gaining a foothold. <laughs> in people's hearts and lives and families. It's because the word of God is not preached in such a way where it convicts. Conviction, guys, is healthy. Conviction is of a loving heavenly father wanting to guide us on the path of the right direction. You discipline your children when they do wrong. Why? Because you love them and you want them to do what's right. Why? Because you know there's consequences for the wrong decisions. Amen? That's what Jesus wants for you. Conviction, guys, is healthy. People run from that in the 21st century American church. You preach messages that are convicting too much, the seats get empty. That's why everybody's tickling ears. Nobody wants to offend nobody. I got a big budget to keep. I can't run them out of here with the word of God. I'm just speaking truth. But you're not going to hear it in most places. So I don't want you to get a condemnation message, though. Condemnation is from the enemy that says you're worthless, that you're no good, that you're, God can't use you because look what you've done. Look who you are. Look what you're doing. Look at your thoughts. Look at your, uh, you're never going to measure up. That's a condemnation message. It's from the enemy. You've got to cancel that out. Go back to the beginning. You got a little angel, a little devil. Devil going to be whispering that. Boy, don't give him a mirror and he don't have a voice. You see, this is not a snapshot of your life test this is a time-lapse video because at any point in time me or you someone took a snapshot and we failed some tests but God's looking at this over a time-lapse video because what we're seeing is the proof of the spirit in us the sanctification is a process some of us are a little more hard-headed than others right but God wants to see a change in direction over time that's proof of the Spirit of God in him. It's not by works you're saved. Don't get me wrong. It's not even by works that you're sanctified. It's by the Spirit of God moving in you that leads you to a new life through the Spirit and through his word. That's proof that you're being sanctified. It all goes God. All the credit is to God. So again, this is not a test of perfection, but a test of direction. Is Christ in you? Are you different? Are you changed? You might say, man, I'm not where I want to be, but I sure ain't where I was. God's not done with me yet. How about you? Look at the person beside you. Tell them God's not done with you yet. 
God's moving. God wants to use even, yes, this word to open our eyes to a, to a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of talking. That's right. I hope all y'all just didn't pick one person and say, God's not done with you yet. That'd be a little obvious. But guys, attempting to minimize sin or escape the responsibility or the consequences of sin is a favorite human pastime. And we'll all fall and succumb to it if we don't choose the Spirit of God over top of it. So we're all tempted. We will all sin. And if we're not careful, we'll blame God or our circumstances. We'll blame our weaknesses. We'll blame our propensities to certain things. We'll blame our circumstances. We'll blame our spouse. We'll blame our, our marriage in general. We'll blame our, our boss. We'll blame our job. We'll blame you fill in the blank. So verse 13 and 14 has a new way of thinking and a new way of looking at sin and temptation and trials and even falling for sin that's different than even the first man and first woman had when they fell to sin because it implies someone who has authentic faith and is living by the Spirit of God and knows the truth has a meekness and a brokenness over their own susceptibility to sin. Do you have that? In other words, I'm not looking to make an excuse. I'm not looking to try to justify it. I'm not looking to try to feel entitled in my sin. I don't want to have pride about my sin. I want to be broken over my sin where I fall short. And praise God for the grace that lifts me up and picks me up and wants to give me victory over that. How about you? That's the gospel. That's what God wants to do in you. James himself would later in chapter 4, we're just going to read that because I don't want to steal any thunder. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. I just want you to hear the word of God as I read it right here. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? Oh, desires. Circle that word, desires for pleasure. That war in your members? You lust. Circle the word lust, and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. That means you ask with the wrong motives. You just want something for yourself. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud says it's not my fault. The proud says it's their fault. The proud says it's God's fault. The humble says it's my fault. Change me, Lord. Verse 7, therefore submit to God. Oh, there's the key. There's the key. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, when this verse gets quoted, often you just hear, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil if he'll flee from you. Often, like we got some kind of power. He's created higher and more angelic and more powerful than you. You will lose every time if you take him on one-on-one. -on -one. How dare you look in the face of the devil and just say, I got you. Get out of here. You and I cannot do that, will not do that. He'll just laugh in your face and my face until we do what first? Submit to God. Submit to God. That means to 
self-examine myself and then to self-deny myself and my flesh and surrender to a holy God and gain victory over temptation through the power that only God provides. Then I can resist him. Then I can tell him to go. Only because of God, not because of me. But oh, how that's left out. Let's keep going in there. That was verse 7. Then verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Oh, look, look at this transition. You ready for this? You want to see the difference between blame shifting and humility over our sin? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Should we make excuses, blame shift? No. Lament and mourn and weep over our sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. No pride in sin there. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then what beautifully happens? He lifts you up. Guys, I want you to see that. It's counterculture to humble ourselves and admit that we're wrong. But when we do that and we plead with a holy God to give us a strength that we don't have, the supernatural can happen in your life and the Spirit of God can take over and lift you up, give you victory over it. Yes, forgive you of the penalty of that sin, but then to give you freedom from the bondage of that sin. That's why Paul said we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Wake up. Yes, God's grace is abundant, and and it's more than enough. Should that mean that we continue in sin so that his grace abounds? Absolutely not, Paul said. That's why he would later Say in Galatians 5, to live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Live by the Spirit. There's the key. Submit to God. Live by the Spirit. This uh, word by or, or of, if depending on what translation you have, says no one's um, tempted by God or, or tempted of God. It's a little um, word that in our language only really has one meaning, but in the Greek, there's, there's two and one could be apo, and the other is upo. Apo or upo? A-P-O or upo? You're like, what did that, that mean? I don't know. A-P-O means that it's of or by from a distance. It's an indirect relationship. Upo means that it's a direct relationship. In other words, put that in translation. I can't say that God's actively... Upo definitely soliciting me to sin. Not too many people would say that, by the way, right? It's God actively enticing me, making me fall for this. If you've got that view of God, man, it's way off. But most people, even inside the church, would say this today, in today's culture, inaccurately, that he apo me. He indirectly puts me in these situations. In other words, he's from a distance. He created me this way. He put me in these circumstances. He allowed this trial, so it's ultimately his fault. James is very clear that God is not upo you, directly tempting you, but he's not even apo tempting you. He's not even remotely in the distance a cause of it. We got to catch that. So it isn't blaming Satan that's wrong. It isn't blaming demons that's wrong. It's not blaming the world or man or anything that James forbids, it's blaming God. All the other ones, of course, we know are wrong as well, although they will play a part in some of it, and we'll look at that. But ultimately, the blame is us. It comes from within. 
And the exact wrong stance is to say it's God's fault. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, The foolishness of man perverts his way and his heart frets against the Lord. Have you seen that in other people? Maybe that are searching, that are lost, that are deceived. Where their heart is fretted against the Lord. They put the blame on him. Real quickly, we're going to grab five ways in this passage, five proofs that God is not responsible for temptation, and therefore he's not responsible for sin. And we can't put the blame on him in any facet. Five points here in this passage. First one, we've looked at in verse 13 and 14, which very, very clearly states, God is not to blame. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Why? So the first one is God is holy and the opposite of evil. God is holy and the opposite of evil. So he can't have any part of it. None. He can't even exist in the presence of it, guys. That's how holy God is. He cannot be tempted by evil. It's words used only right here in the New Testament. In the Greek, epirostos, and it means he is not experienced in evil. He has no experience of it whatsoever. There's nothing in him that's even remotely the same as evil. He has no capacity for evil. He has no vulnerability to evil. He can't be overcome by evil. Can he be tempted by it? And this, and this word here for evil is, is plural. So it generally means evil of any kind. Guys, sin, evil, repulses God. He's holy. It can't find no place in his holy character. So the nature of evil itself is apart from God and apart from his holiness. I love Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says this. says, you are purer eyes, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Can't even look on it. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but of course, you know that Jesus on the cross at one point said, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. That's the moment at which many theologians believe that that the sin of the world was placed upon Christ to pay that penalty for that sin. And and, and Jesus felt that where God couldn't even look. And you got proof of that in Isaiah chapter 53. And you know that well, it says we're we're pierced for it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we're healed. Jesus come to heal us through that penalty, that sin, that he paid for our sin. And in verse 10, it said that if you know this, depending on what translation you have, it says it pleased the father to wound the son. (laughs) And we make light of sin. Sin was the reason that it pleased him because... He can't exist in the presence of sin. He can't even look upon sin. So it pleased him to do that. But then also because he knew the victory that would be gained through the sacrifice of his son. It was for our victory. Number two, second way we can say five proofs that God's not responsible for temptation and therefore sin is man is tempted by his own lusts. Man is tempted by his own lusts. You look at this word right here in this, in uh, verse 14, it says each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
man, this is good stuff right here. How many of you here like to hunt and fish? Anybody like to hunt and fish? Come on, I know it's not just me. We're in Bedford County. You know what I'm saying? I know some of you guys like to hunt and fish. And if you don't like to hunt and fish yourself, you probably know somebody or have a family member that loves to hunt and fish. So Paul's going to come to a hunting and fishing term right here. This drawn or drug away. The first one is from hunting. All right. So each one is drawn away by his own evil desires and then enticed. Drawn away and then enticed. Drawn away is the hunting term. All right. It's the act of, of luring an animal into a trap. All right. To be baited in such a way. All right. And it comes in this verb by itself means to be drawn by an inward power. So it's not the bait alone that makes the animal come in. Some of you that illegally hunt in Virginia and put corn on the ground can testify to that. Just because you dump corn on the ground doesn't, y'all don't do that, do you? There's game wardens in here probably. All right. Just because you put it on the ground doesn't mean the deer's coming. <laughs> there has to be something, an internal like desire a, within a that animal to come and take that bait. And a fisherman baits his hook with a, an alluring bait. So that if you use the art of virtual luring, you can go to the Walmart and go in the Bass Pro Shops. And there is aisle upon aisle of fancy, beautiful colored, every color you can imagine, Lord. Why? It's important to catch that animal has. which is important of itself because when you use the word own with that, it emphasizes not just a generic bait, but something that's specifically itemized and directed to you. Make no mistake, Satan, his demons are not all-knowing. They don't know everything. It says, sanctify them, Lord, with your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth, and it changes our lives. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, it's not God's will. It is God's will that you be sanctified. That's changed. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, come out from among them and be separate. Man, that's why God can't take part in any of that is because God given us his spirit, and God wants us to be changed and different according to him. Do you have that kind of victory in your life? Has Christ radically taken over in such a way that we're going to look at next week and get deeper because I didn't want to leave all this out where it's grabbed your emotions? Oh, that's that desire. When you think about desire, that's emotional. That's feelings. I want that because I, it would make me feel good. It would appeal to my emotions right now because I've had a hard week, because I've had a bad life, because... We're going to look at that next week. We're going to get the game plan on how to overcome this temptation and win this battle and what that looks like. Because God wants us to be transformed, yes, to the very deepest parts of our emotions where we deny our fleshly desires, but then ultimately to be transformed by our mind. So that even when our human desires and fleshly wants kick in, that if we, within a transformed mind, it puts the halt on those emotions and desires and gains victory by the Spirit of God. Change your heart. Oh, that's next week. You don't want to miss it.
It's the victory over temptation. So the question is now, who's at fault? Who's to blame right now for the bait maybe you're taking in your life? What is that bait? What is it? What are you falling for? What have you been deceived about? What is the enemy throwing at you all the time that you just keep making excuses for? That you just try to justify? That maybe now you've done it for so long you feel entitled in it. And how dare somebody even suggest you do something different? That's entitlement and sin. Guys, that is false faith that justifies and entitles sin. God wants it out of you. Again, conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. God has made a way through his goodness by the giving of his spirit for you to have a transformed life and a desire through his spirit and through his word to change you radically from the inside out. Will you say yes to that today? You can have victory today starting today through the Spirit of God. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. I just wonder if there's anybody here that might just first and foremost just say, Brad, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've been fooled in so many ways been deceived i've been enticed and drug away but today i want to surrender i just want to raise raise up that white flag in my life and say lord i'm tired of fighting and i'm tired of running Can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his word? I know it never returns void, and I know that it's moved in a lot of hearts today because it moved in mine. That it's never anybody else's fault. Never anybody else's fault. Anything else's fault. It's definitely not God's fault. But through humility, we can say, Lord, it's my fault. Lord, help me. I surrender. 
Lord, do a work in me that I can't do for myself. God answers that. Can I just tell you that? Man, when, when, when God hears that heart of, of humility, I believe that God stands up from his throne and grabs the angels and be like, did you hear that? <laughs> Man, let's, let's do that this week. Let's let the word of God do that in our heart, a transforming work, and watch God give us.